you, you stand and uh, while I read scripture. I'm shorter than Corby. Um, Old Testament reading is from Psalm 119, 169 through 176. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise, for you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. The grass withers and the flowers fall. The word of our God stands forever. And now from Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and also 30 through 33. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word of the Lord. Michael, everyone is shorter than Corby. (laughs) Be not dismayed. Let's pray. It's a lovely image to me, O Father, to imagine that standing here, trying to explain what these words, ancient though they be, might mean for us today, could be your way of supplying what is lacking in our faith. That it might be a way that our joy and progress as people who have confidence in Christ could continue. And so I am plagiarizing the Apostle Paul and saying, Grant that which will supply for what lacks in the faith of these who sit before me and around me. You know the desperation. You know how hard it is for us to trust. You know how disappointed we are with ourselves and with our situations and probably in many ways with you. And so we're asking 
sustain us in some heartening ways, surprise us in some gladdening ones. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come near. Amen. We are looking on this Sunday, our last sermon on this series called Open Our Eyes. We wanted everybody to get here before we started a new series, so next week we'll look at what we're about as a church for a few weeks. But we're talking about opening our eyes, this idea that if we're going to have the right kinds of perspective, the right kind of realizations about the world that we're in and who we are and what God's like, then we're going to need outside input from the scriptures and engagement with God in prayer. And so on this last series, these fans are good. I'm moving my papers around. I've got to figure out a new situation. Hold on. In this last series, this last sermon, what we're going to talk about is something that's really quite familiar to most of you, I guess. You just haven't thought of it this way. We're going to talk about developing a struggle IQ. IQ is a good kind of moniker that is applied to a lot of things these days. We talk about intelligence quotients. We talk about different kinds of realms of human endeavor where people have an IQ. LeBron James has a remarkable basketball IQ. You may know a lawyer or a physician who hopefully has a great deal of medical acumen and IQ, or you have an IQ about your business. There are even people in here who have developed an amazing amount of IQ regarding, say, Fortnite. And it's a real thing. We have all kinds of things that we play, interact with, engage with, study. I have sometimes made fun of phenomena like watching Fortnite, watching people play Fortnite on YouTube. I realize this has done a lot. But then I backed up and I said, well, how is that different than what everybody does all the time? How is that different than ESPN? Or HGTV. People watching games. They're watching something that they're interested in. And they're learning, what may I expect? What are the options? Uh, What can I imagine about this? What are ways that I can get better at this? What are ways that I can inhabit this world more effectively? That's what the development of an IQ is. And it occurs to me that one of the graces... And one of the remarkable provisions of God through the scriptures... Is that... It gives us a way to develop an IQ for struggle, which is important because throughout the scriptures, you'll realize that one of the hardest things for people to do when it comes to trusting God is to keep at it. It's really hard not to just wear out, not to have your faith just sort of fizzle. It's really hard to to make it even through the end of a day. You can have a, a buoyant, quiet time in the morning if you do that sort of thing. And then by the end of the night, you might be so mad at everybody and so discouraged with yourself, you're not sure if God ever existed or ever did anything good. And that's just in the course of the day. And so the apostle, like all the Bible, gives us all these ways to think about how we might develop a struggle IQ. How we might be able to endure. How we might be able to fan our flagging faith back into 
of full strength. How we might get some rehydration for the dehydration of soul that overtakes us and makes us feel flat and not able to expect very much. And so we're going to talk about that. How do you develop a a struggle IQ? A sort of competency, a learning of what to anticipate. Figuring out how to adjust with trouble that comes to you and, and how to discover what's possible. And the first thing that you must do to discover and develop a struggle IQ is to watch where you're paying attention. Watch what you're giving your attention to. The Apostle says in Romans 15.4, that was just read to you by Michael, the insults of those you insult you have fallen on me. And he says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Everything, and I looked it up in Greek, everything, that means all of the things. Everything that was written in the past, and the past means we're not familiar or don't realize that, a, that the past happened because we're perennial amnesiacs. That means things that happened before today. But he's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the scriptures, the Old Testament. And now we have the New Testament joined to it. The Apostle Peter calls Paul's writings scriptures. Everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's our way of clicking onto a YouTube channel to figure out, instead of how to change a a headlight and a car that you have to have special tools and a jack and a, a whole mechanic station to change the headlight for, we're learning how to struggle, how to endure, how to keep trusting, and how to keep finding out that it's worth it to obey. It's worth it to give our confidence to Christ, even on the days when it doesn't seem so worth it. He's saying, pay attention to what was written in the past. Pay attention to the scriptures. Now, this is a very important thing. You don't realize it, perhaps, and maybe you do, that the most important commodity in our modern time, in our modern attentional economy, is your attention. You realize this? You've heard these sayings, right? If you're using some free technology and you're not paying for it, that means that you are the product, right? Because there aren't free things. And I think about this because we have given and are lured to give our attention to lots of things. You know this. You're just as bombarded as I am. You have given yourselves, just as I have, to many trivialities. You know lots of data. You know data that is discordant. You know what's happening in international soccer, and you know what's happening in geopolitical politics, and you know what happened in Iowa at a school where someone did something weird and their teacher did something weirder. You know all kinds of things because your attention is constantly being grabbed. But what we rarely do is wonder, what is the intention between this luring attempt to get my attention? What's the intention behind it? I was thinking about what it would be like if I was a young dove. I was sane when I thought of it. A dove, you know, like a little bird. Imagine a little dove, a flying baby dove, exploring the world, finding out what it was about. And 
and, and flying over North Georgia and, and seeing, not maybe not too far from here, an enormous and captivating sunflower field. Mom, would you look at those sunflowers? They're so brilliant. I bet those seeds are magnificent, the little baby says. Let's go down there and nourish ourselves, not only on the food, but on the beauty of the place. Are all places in North Georgia this beautiful? The little baby dove's attention has been captivated. Now, a wise mother would say, "Um, excuse me, Junior, Juniorette. Let us think for a second. Why? Why do you think that a million sunflowers just emerged in a field in a manicured way very near a house and there are men there with, with brown sticks in their hands? If you get closer, you will discover something. The humans call that a dove field, not a sunflower one. Hmm. The sunflowers aren't the point. We are... The sunflowers are there because the people who made the sunflowers for us do not have good intentions for us. If you are not familiar with hunting, this is a way to attract doves to your house. You lure them over. You make a lot of food. So they come there so you can shoot them. Great. This is no commentary on hunting. I'm just describing the way a thing works. And how confusing it would be to a young dove. But it's so beautiful! (laughs) And you think, as you spend senseless, needless, uncritical hours on Netflix or YouTube or whatever particular technology it is, the technology isn't the issue. It's the intention behind the technology. What are they trying to do? One of my chief angers, I get these explosive kinds of anger, but only every other day. When I sometimes get mad at video games, I'm not always mad at them, but sometimes. And one of my, one of my retorts, one of my snarky, angry, unreasonable retorts, which is so good, but it's so undermined by the way I say it. That happens a lot, parents, for, in general. You can say a really good thing in a really awful way, which makes the really good thing dissipate. But one of the things I'll say is, the problem with these games is, and it'll, it'll always be like that. It's not the problem, guys, with these games. The problems with these games are, the people who created them do not love you. They don't care what happens to you. And then my carotid arteries explode. But that's really true. The people who are trying to get your attention for things, they don't love you. They don't care what happens to you. They don't care who you become. And this isn't just about video games. This is about all of it. This is about financial news. This is about the the sprawling political economy. This is about everything that's constantly vying for your attention all the time. They don't care what happens to you. They just care that you keep watching or clicking or buying. Okay. Because your attention is a really important thing. 
Matthew Crawford writes about this well in the world outside your head. And it's interesting to me to note that one of the things the Bible quietly does there and has implemented for the people of God throughout the generations that they would gather together and hear the word of God preached, that they would have these scriptures preserved that were written in the past to teach us so that we might give our attention to them so that we might have endurance and encouragement and therefore hope. Instagram doesn't often create hope in you, I bet. Especially if your life is going badly. No one's life is going badly on Instagram. Make sure your attention is given where the intention is sustaining and restorative for you. This is what the Apostle Paul is up to. This is why he wants to say, listen to the scriptures. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let what you pay attention to be something that's meant to generate hope in you so that you can keep not wearing out. So you can keep trusting when there's all kinds of things around you that are tempting to make that trust dissipate. Make sure your attention is given where the intention is sustaining and restorative if you want to have a struggle IQ. And when you start to do this, you'll realize these kinds of things. Perhaps you're participating in the Rock Creek Fellowship Bible Reading Plan. Oh, there's one of those? There is. It just occurred to me to say it. And you could participate. You could start any old time because there's no one checking. But that's only if you want hope and endurance and encouragement. But you might be reading laboriously reading through narratives of the Old Testament. You're in 2 Kings, for instance, and you, and you stumble across King Hezekiah being besieged by the great king, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, who comes all power-posy-like, sending a messenger to taunt the besieged Hezekiah and saying a thing like this to Hezekiah. Hey, Hezekiah, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? And you might read that. You hear this story. There's an actual battle in, about to happen between this marauding and powerful army of Assyria and this much smaller army of Israel. There are things at stake. And Assyria says, What is this silly old confidence you have, Hezekiah? And then you start to think, huh, I have voices in my head sometimes that say, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? I sometimes think, I believe in Jesus Christ. And then I go out into the world and I think, I don't know, maybe I don't believe in him so much. This doesn't seem so true at the moment. The strength of someone else's counter thing might, might make my, my trust shrivel a little bit, make it, might make it diminish a little bit. And I realized, oh, I'm constantly engaged in a battle where there's a threat, where there's an insinuation. And that's the same insinuation that the devil did in the beginning. Can you really trust God's word? He's clearly trying to dupe you. What, you have confidence in that? And then Hezekiah is later told, don't, don't let these empty words guide you. 
Israel's told, don't listen to Hezekiah. He's just trying to mislead you when he tells you that the Lord will deliver you. The Lord. (laughs) Would you ever feel that? We're in a time right now where there are lots of really clever people. Bill Maher will get on lots of clever people, and they will mock Christians, and everybody will laugh knowingly (laughs) in their sophistication because we're so dumb, you know? Right? Because Christianity is stupid. Um, And then you know what Hezekiah does? He goes and he spreads it out before the Lord. He takes these threats, he takes what he knows of God, and he takes it to God. You see, everything written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And we see here's a king involved in a geopolitical crisis where the confidence that he has in the Lord is being attested and contested. And so what does he do? He prays. And he says, God, consider his threats. And he says, now he did say that no God has ever been able to stand up to them. But then I'm thinking about it. See, he's thinking before the Lord. Like, but the gods that he has thrown into the fire, they weren't actually gods at all. They were just things made by hands. Stones and wooden creatures. Consider his threats and show him, Lord. Show him that there's one God. And then he defends his people, that he contends with those who contend against his. And we're told that the next day, or during the night, after God has said to Hezekiah, you know, things are going to turn around. Resurrection's going to happen. You ain't going to have to worry about nothing. 185,000 men, fighting men, are destroyed. That's like almost two Neyland stadiums for you who only think in terms of the SEC. That many people were destroyed by a destroying angel. Now, that's a pretty cool feature if you're a king. Like, oh, God does stuff. I can have confidence in him. That's why he wants me to have my attention there. I realize that praying to him does something. Praying to him bolsters my faith. Praying to him bolsters my endurance. Praying to him actually helps me to believe again that it's worth it. If you're going to have a strong struggle IQ, you're going to have to pay attention to things that have an intention of sustaining and restoring you, like the scriptures. And you're going to have to learn what to expect. Is the second point. You're going to have to learn what do you expect. You realize, I imagine, that a great deal of the problem that we endure on a very daily basis is just the problem of our own expectations. Like, what are we counting on to happen? What do we need to have happen? And if it does or doesn't, what does that mean? We have all kinds of expectations, and we think we know how life needs to go for us, and if it doesn't go for us, then sometimes we we pronounce the whole Christianity enterprise a failure. It doesn't occur to us that maybe we've miscalculated. But it's worth saying, what what is it that I can actually expect? And then we come to the apostle again, who tells us, 
I want you to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. When you start giving your attention to the scriptures, you start camping out there, you start dwelling and loitering in the neighborhood of the scriptures, one of the things that you're going to realize, it's actually profoundly encouraging, even though if you're pretty neurotic, it might be scary for you right now if I say this, is that one of the things that you can expect as someone who's going to trust the resurrected Savior who was a suffering Savior, is that his troubles are going to get on you. You're going to struggle. That's the promise. The Apostle Paul started out his apostolic career not with a big reception and huge numbers of crowds. He started out his apostolic career being blinded and being told it will be through many sufferings that he enters the the kingdom of God. It's through much hardship he will find out how much he must suffer for my name. Now, that's not very good news. There aren't a lot of podcasts that give you a life hack on the expectation of immense struggle. But what's comforting to me about that is it accords with my life, because regardless of what anybody tells me to expect, I just wake up in the morning and have to deal with myself and the world that I inhabit, and I realize this is an awful place sometimes, and I'm an awful man sometimes, and I don't know how to handle myself. I don't know how to contend with all my thoughts. I don't know how to contend with all my moods. I don't know how to handle all the things I'm afraid of, all the things that could happen to us. I don't know how to endure with all the people that I love and all that could happen to them. And how do I help them? What are my responsibilities? It can be overwhelming. It can be confusing. And it's encouraging to me that the endurance given by the scriptures can also give me an expectation that what's been written there, for instance, by the apostle is that struggle is a pretty normal thing. Listen to what Paul says about his own life. He's an apostle, not you. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I'm more. I have worked much harder. I have been in prison more frequently. That's a weird thing to advertise. I have been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten, but just with rods. Once I was stoned, not the way you're thinking. Three times I was shipwrecked, and that is not elegant. He was stuck in sea. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. If you were a literary scholar and you were trying to determine what is the leitmotif of those verses, what word did you hear 16,000 times just now? Danger. That's how I'm imagining I'm saying with an Australian accent. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the, pre- the churches. I'm worried about the churches. I'm in the pains of childbirth till Christ be born in them. I'm worried I've wasted my, my labors on them. I'm worried that they're, they're fizzling. 
Who is weak? And I don't feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I don't inwardly burn. There's a harp from the Lord. Saying, begin soon to land the plane, son. Land the plane. It's preordained by me. It's so encouraging to me to hear the Apostle Paul list out these kind of catalogs of sufferings, these lists. Not because I delight in his hardship and not because I have anything quite like it. But we have some analogous things. We have things happening to us and assignments given to us that we don't like. And we wonder, is it worth it to keep at it? How am I going to endure it? This seems too hard for me. Sometimes it's just daily living. The dread of it just, it just overcomes you. Some of you are going to have to deal, even tonight, with the Sunday cloud that comes for the work that you have tomorrow. That's going to make school and work a very hard thing to go to. And to hear the Apostle Paul say, Who feels weak? You don't think I feel weak? You don't think I feel up to the task? And to also hear him say, And though we're outwardly wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Because, see, the apostle expected two things simultaneously. And it teaches us what to expect. He thought there was this hope, this unshakable hope, that the the whole world is on tiptoe, that the reversal and renewal of all things, the, the making untrue of all the sad stuff. He thought that was coming and that was sure. That was coming and that was non-negotiable. There was no doubt about it. A new body and a new life with God on a new planet. That was happening. So nothing else would ultimately matter. And he said, but I also expect immediate help. I expect God's availability now. I expect him to renew me day by day. I expect him to continue to deliver me in the face of death day by day by now. So I expect that I'll have everything I need tonight and tomorrow. And when I walk through that terrible thing called death. That teaches us what to expect. And if you're going to have a struggle IQ, you've got to be able to expect that God is going to do things. And the scriptures will help you as you give your attention to them because they have the intention of sustaining you. And creating an unshakable hope, giving you an anchor for your soul. And the last thing is this. You've got to learn what to expect. You've got to give your attention to what has the intention of sustaining you. And you've got to ask and anticipate for yourself and others if you're going to have a good struggle like you. Paul says, I want you to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. That's the other one. This is all according to plan. I want you to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. It's interesting to me, I love it actually, how often in the Bible the Apostle Paul asks people to pray for him. Do you? Will you? You're allowed to. He asks them because he actually thinks it's so much of a thing. And so he's always reassuring people that he's praying for them. How many times? I just went through the other day and tried to collect. What do the apostles pray when they're praying in the New Testament? And how many times do the apostles say, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with thanks. And this is my prayer. 
that your love may abound more and more in depth of insight. Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. He's always praying and wrestling that you will be mature and fully assured. This is my prayer, that you'll live a life worthy of God. This is my prayer. He's always telling them about his prayers because he thinks that that's actually moving the resurrected Christ to act in real time in real lives. And so he says, I need you to pray for me. Join me in my struggle. Struggle with me in talking to God. Wrestle with God through the wrestling that I'm having to endure in my apostolic career. I want you to pray for me, he says in another place, that whenever I open my mouth, words would be given me. I may declare fearlessly the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I will declare it fearlessly as I should. He's asking for courage in other places. Ask that we may be delivered from unbelievers, from wicked men. Ask that the message may spread rapidly. He's asking that the work I'm doing would be supercharged. And he thinks that prayer is a way to do that. We're pretty embarrassed, some of us, to ask people to pray for us, especially on the things that we most don't want in our lives. The scariest things, the most troubling things, the most embarrassing things, Would you trust some people enough and Christ enough to ask some people to pray for you for that debilitating anxiety that you're wrestling with? That sadness that's overtaking you, your your terrifying fear for your children, the, the, the struggle that you feel about your grandchildren? I don't know what the struggle is. I know lots of struggles in this congregation. I'm trying not to mention one specifically that I know is yours so you're not saying, why is he telling my stuff in front of everybody? So I'm trying to make generic things. And you know, we have an opportunity this fall in our Pray For Me campaign to join in the struggle of students. You'll be assigned, those of you who are participating, a student. And you'll have three, or she'll have three adults who are joining in their struggle to walk with God as a teenager in a convoluted world where everyone does what's right in his own eyes and there is no king where what is good is called evil and what is evil is called good. And you know the confusion of being an adolescent? It's confusing and it's scary and it's uncertain. And we get to join and struggle with them by praying for them. Will you do that? And will you anticipate and expect with us and join us on Wednesday night? We're going to have a prayer gathering for an hour at Little Lake, our Little Lake site from 6 to 7. And then for the next 24 hours... Anybody who wants to can sign up to pray for one hour. Not, you don't have to pray like three in the morning. Just whenever you can. Because this is how we kick off the fall. Asking God to act in the middle of the struggle of being the church in the world. And then in September, whoever wants to can sign up for 30 days of prayer. You'll get an email 5 a.m. every morning. A church-wide praying that happens for the month of September. Will you join in the struggle of that with us together? God has done so much in us and through us all these years as we've prayed together. If you're going to have a struggle like you, you've got to give your attention to what has an intention to sustain you. And the scriptures have an intention of giving you an unshakable hope and encouragement today. You've got to learn what to expect from the scriptures, what to pray what to, what to count on God to do. What to throw back to him 
that he's promised from us in the midst of our struggles. And you've got to learn to ask and anticipate for yourself and others. Some of you may have seen my Chattanooga article this week. If not, you don't have to read it. I'm going to tell you something about it. E.B. White, whom I love, wrote an obituary for his dog in the early 1930s. His dog's name was Daisy. She was a Scottish terrier. Daisy, her life was cut short by an errant yellow cab on a New York City sidewalk on a rainy day. And so in the New Yorker, he wrote this obituary. You can find it online somewhere. And he said that this dog of his, three years old as she was, uh, had developed an an infirm state, a hip that didn't work. But she had gotten extra cheerful in her dilapidated state. But she developed this curious habit. It was a great pleasure to her, and it was uh, very annoying to everyone else, of grabbing passers-by by the ankle with her jaws. She would just grab them by the jaw. I mean, by the ankle with her jaws. She just, but she would not clench her jaws. She just held them there gently. It created many enemies for her. Many befuddled people. They did not understand this. But he says, so long as I know she never even broke a thread of anyone's sock. So gently did she grab these little ankles. And I puzzled, he said, about this quirkish temper. Why would she do such a bizarre thing? And he says, I think I understand why. Because she suffered from a chronic perplexity. And it gave her great relief to take hold of something. This little dog was infirmed. And she was little. She's a dog. She suffered from a great and chronic perplexity. She didn't have a calming shirt, an anxiety jacket. It gave her great relief to take hold of something. We're always looking to take hold of stuff because we suffer chronic perplexity, chronic confusions, chronic maladjustments in our insides. And the Apostle Paul would have our eyes be opened to this Savior who holds out hands and says, I want to give you soothing for your chronic perplexity. Take hold of me. I want to say to your soul, I am your salvation, so that you may be set free from the perfectionism that dogs you day after day, that you take hold of, that you might get some relief. I want to be the one to whom you run, to whom you reach out, for whom you take hold. And you'll discover that I've actually taken hold of you. If you want to have a high-suffering IQ, a high-struggle IQ, you're going to have to take hold of the suffering Savior who knows how to sympathize with your weakness, who will never turn you out, and he'll never go away. And that will be a relief for your chronic perplexity. Amen.